All right. Hey, hello and welcome to Swing Smarter Monthly Newsletter. This is Joey Myers, your host. Uh, you know you know me as HittingPerformanceLab.com. And with me today, I am honored to have on Mr. Matty Pierce. He is a good friend of a good friend of a good friend. Uh, I haven't met Matt in person yet. Almost did at ABCA in Anaheim, or not Anaheim, uh, what was it, Dallas? Uh, we just got real busy with all the people that were there. There's over 6,000 coaches and whatnot. But I know Matt through Jeremy Johnson and a couple other guys. And Matt's just a great guy. He's an independent thinker when it comes to hitting mechanics. And you're out coaching. Where Where are you at? What university are you coaching at? Matt, oh, I, I'm not. High school? I'm a high school coach. High yeah, school coach. so. So go tell so me basically, your, yeah, where you're at and where you're coaching. Yeah, no problem. So I'm in Houston, Texas. Um, I do a lot of different things. I'm a private instructor. I work closely with a group called DST. It's, it's more of a training facility, so I work with their pro guys or college guys that come in and out of there. I'm a head high school coach at Houston Christian High School, and then I run or help run a, a select program here in Texas called the South Texas Sliders. Awesome. And then I know I did want to ask you a question towards the end about barbecuing, and you and you got some really good barbecuing. Uh, it makes my mouth water every time I see you post something new to Twitter. So we're, we'll we'll talk about that towards the end. I want to I want to get the best recipes and practices. So uh, absolutely know, know that we're going to get there. Okay, Matt. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, hey. Uh, first question. What do you feel is the best approach right now for your players? Uh, you talking to them, dealing with this COVID layoff? to return to the top of their game? What, what kind of advice have you been giving them during this whole time? Oh, man, that's a tough one, right? Don't – not to overthink it, you know? I mean, I, I, every player I have is in a different different part of their career, right? Whether it's a it's a minor league guy who, who hasn't had a live at-bat since last, last spring, I mean, just – or summer. For those guys to understand they got to keep hitting, but it's not the normal offseason where we – where we slow play and then live at bats January and getting ready for spring training. You know, we went through all that and then and then shut down. So for those guys to to keep them in a mindset that that what you're doing is the right path, um, and don't and don't overthink it because we never really got to the point where they got to test it in a game, right? And so it's tough for those guys. For the high school kids here in Texas, you know, they missed out on their season, but for the most part. After the high school season we got in the summer, we, we got playing. Um, we traveled. We played all around Texas. We played in Atlanta. So those guys are on a normal schedule now, I would say. Um, and then the college player, uh, same, same thing as the pro, just be able to get them through their summer. And then now they're, they're, they're heading back to college and, and hopefully can work out there. So I guess my biggest advice for them um, – would be for the pro guy that he just didn't get bogged down on too much mechanical work and thoughts and thinking something's wrong and this doesn't work and changing this and changing that. Right. And that's all great advice. And that's what I've been telling mine too, is that you got to keep working because when we come out of this thing, you know, like in Texas is a little bit farther along than California. They just seem to want to squash out a lot of the sports here, but to make sure that you keep working because when we, when we do come out, cause we're going to come out, you're going to know the guys that were putting in the work and the girls that were putting in the work and the ones that weren't. Um, do you have any, is, is that advice still the same that you just gave for the senior, senior year high schoolers? Any, any Current, like kids who are starting their senior year? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that was really tough for those guys, right, and, and, and girls. I mean, um, when you look at our select baseball team or my high school team, there's kids that were already committed. 
on both rosters and then the ones that weren't and college coaches not being able to be out so video was much more important for those guys this summer and girls and um, trying to find ways to get games live online and and all that and who knows how it's all going to shake up with the recruiting process i got a bunch of friends in junior college and they're not they're kind of shutting down right now recruiting also because they just don't know where this thing is headed as far as numbers and what's going to be available and what they're going to need so um yeah they just got to keep working because it just the log jam is going to make it harder on those kids right yeah competition is really going to flesh that out unfortunately Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your? What do you think the biggest hitting? I know you're. You don't get into it as much on on hitting Twitter, and I I've tried to take a a, a long vacation sabbatical from that <laughs> as well. But do you see any big hitting gems? Like could be one, could be two on hitting Twitter, or if if you don't see any, and that it doesn't have to be just hitting. It could be better movement, right? Moving better type stuff. Uh, but any gems on hitting Twitter right now? Man, you know. No, I've stayed away from it. I can't remember the last time I even t- hashtag hitting Twitter. <laughs> um, you know, for me, when it started off, it was it was so excellent, right? I mean, there was, there was real ideas being shared and videos being shared. And, and, and even though we may not have saw eye to eye on something, like we, we, we tried to figure out what the other person was saying or seeing or why or what. And then, and then it just really started to take a turn of who could do the weirdest stuff, you know, like who... Who could come up with the with the most weird thing? So, uh, the most things that I that I try and find on on if you even want to call it hitting Twitter or just Twitter period is um, is how people learn, right? And and how people learn new things and how learning actually happens and skill acquisition and and things like that. So whenever anyone's posting on those kind of threads, I, I, I'm all in on that kind of stuff right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I like that. I like that a lot. What would you say? What drove you away from hitting Twitter? Was it just the, like you said, the weird? Was there, was it just that everybody's fighting each other? I mean, it, 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 say a new coach, get, give some advice to a new coach coming in to, to Twitter, what to, what to watch out for. Where, where I got, where I got thrown off on the whole, the whole thing was, it was before we could even measure, right? Before we could act, before Rap Soto was even available for us to buy, and it was hit everything off the top net. I mean, when that when that started, it's like no, like I want guys to elevate as much as anybody. But but it's not just sit there and hit off the top net. That's not where it's at. And um, that's when I started to kind of take a back seat and say, yeah, I, I'm different than that. And then and then measuring exit velo hacks off a tee with radar guns and seeing who could who could get the highest number. And that's when it to me. When it all started, we were trying to figure out how to move better, swing better. Don't worry about chasing a carrot, and that carrot being batting average and extra base hits and homers, and and figuring out how how to get your best swing off. And then we started chasing carrots again on who could hit the ball the hardest and the highest. And so I just really took a back seat back seat then. I think when when that got turned off, so. It, it, to me, it's about centering the ball. So if we can find and timing the ball, mm-hmm. more people talk about how to do that. That's where I'd focus on. The moment it's it's top net, top net batting cage bombs. I've just never been. I've just never been there. Right. Yeah, I I agree with you. A couple of years ago, if if I would have been talking to you about what we're probably going to talk about on this call, I, I would have thought I was nuts. 
But Perry Husband, you you familiar with him hitting as a guest dot com? Yes. Yeah. So with Perry, and I know you guys had some conversations about some things and stuff like that. But one of the things that Perry and I talked uh, at length about was this idea of, in the big leagues, best hitters in the world are hitting line drives at a twenty percent rate. So best in the world, league average, twenty percent line drive rate. Then you got thirty-seven percent fly ball rate, or we—I'm not a math major, so we just round it to forty. And then a forty-three percent ground ball rate is the average, so we just round it down to forty. So forty, forty, and then twenty in the middle. Right. And so the best in the world are missing the ball, are not hitting the line drive eighty percent of the time. And right. We talk about the Perry will set up a little—it's like a little stand that has a, a donut hole looking object like a target that he'll set it up to us at about five to 15 degree launch angles and the the game is you get 10 swings off the tee or you can go live and the hitter has to hit it through that hole and if they hit it through the hole they get four points if they hit it outside of the hole but maybe hits the end end of this the donut it's three points if it's maybe a foot from the object it's two if it's way out it's one it's zero if it goes farther out right so it's like a bullseye yeah like shooting an arrow and we, we talked about this idea that barrel control, so whether you're controlling, my, my hitters, we call them verticals, not launch angles, because coaches hate that. A lot of coaches hate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so we, we just call them verticals. So being able to control your verticals or your horizontal, so your line-to-line -line approach on the field, I think mm -hmm. that's just a lost art. Is that something that you, you do with your hitters? So it's funny, man. I mean, before... When I was an assistant coach at my previous high school, and, and before I even got on Twitter, before launch angle was even a measurement, our, our, and, and I was on this swing belief of what, of what we're on, but, you know, before I, it was coaches want to see you change your horizontal, right? Like balls to left, balls to right, and that's what everybody wanted to see. That's how we graded BP for the longest. And whenever I started to get into this mode of coaching, we did something similar on the field. And what we did was is we said, all right, our first round had to be had to be below the fence line, but but beyond the in, beyond the infield grass. Mm -hmm. And so, before they could even move on to the second round, we always do cut rounds of four. Before they could even move on. They had to give me four balls that travel below the fence line, but the first hop was beyond the infield grass. And then the second round was, all right, you got to be below the scoreboard, but first bounce in the outfield grass. And then the third round was, see how far you can hit it, right? Mm -hmm. And then, and then every round after that, it was you need to either a work on what you need to work on, or b, you know continue to have your rounds where you play best. So we allowed our we allowed our freshman who was who was five foot eight and hundred and thirty five pounds do the last round of see how far you can hit it right. to let him see he can't do that. But but then he also learned how to be really good in that second round, right? And then and then we would use that in our games also when we needed a certain when we wanted a certain kind of hit. You kind of just told that guy, hey, let's play below the scoreboard right here or let's play below the fence line right here. And those guys understood what that meant. And we didn't try to control horizontal. We just wanted to control the vert, as you said, the vertical. And that was before we even got in the launch angle. So now we kind of do the same thing just with Rap Soto. And there's a, there's a number to it. Right. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I've heard it also, too, where you can you can do it by ground ball, because not all ground balls, and again, three years ago, they said I was nuts for saying something like this. Not all ground balls are created equal, right? You can hit the screaming one-hoppers and, and possibly get a two-hopper through. So, and I think even Perry says that the whenever the ball exit speed gets above a certain amount on a grounder, the average is like 450 or 550 or something like that. Um, and so the other thing I've heard is if you got a guy or a gal that keeps getting in the air in in the air in a bad way, fly balls, things like that, is you can almost do the exact opposite and have them hit a three hopper through where it bounces three times in the infield before it gets to the outfield. You can have them try doing a four hopper, a two hopper, a one hopper, where you you have them do the exact opposite of what they were doing before, which is hitting a fly ball, and then you get them to feel the differences in the, the almost swinging more down, I guess if you want to call it. And then, like you said, the other the other way you can do it is if somebody's hitting a bunch of ground balls that are non-productive, then you can have them, like what you said, where they're starting to lengthen it out, trying to get underneath it a little bit and get it out there. So then they end up somewhere in the middle. That's right. Doing the exact opposite, right? That's right. It's all it's all a game, right? You've seen it. It's it's figuring out does the ball go up because the swing goes up, or did the ball go up because the swing was too steep, right? So. It's always it, every kid's different, right? Every every kid's different on where they need to train and and what they need to do. And I, I think that's where a lot of people are losing this on the on the launch angle conversation. They just assume that because we say launch angle, that we just automatically assume the higher the better. Right. So if a kid came to you here, whether a boy or girl, and they were lacking in power, consistent power. What's the one thing that you would work with them on mechanically? Um, so uh, obviously watching them swing, and I want to see is the power lacking because the inability to square up the ball because of bat path, or is the power lacking because they don't know how to properly load their body to create stretch and that they hit with stretch versus hitting with effort. So. First would be to identify why why they're not getting their 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 max exit velocity. Mm -hmm. And what would you what what couple areas would you look so uh, would you look for because you know I, I don't know how familiar you are with my system like catapult loading system is the is the power system so right uh, you know anything not not necessarily in that but that you automatically go for when you're looking and evaluating that player what exactly are you looking for what's that one what's that one thing that you're like oh it doesn't look like they're doing that that could be the reason and it, it might not be it might not be the reason but it might be the right. reason you're thinking right so what is that one that so one? like so to me it's still it's still two answers to that it's the first thing i'm going to look for is barrel path like mm -hmm. how does the barrel move when they say go, right? What, what's the, where's the first movement that the barrel makes? And it, let's just say, if that's wrong, then we're going to attack that before we do anything else. Let, that's the e that's the lowest hanging fruit to me is, is fixing barrel path. And once we fix barrel path, or let's just say barrel path is good, they, they manipulate the barrel correctly, then it's just going to be how they, how they load their system, right? Are they, are they a ship back? loading the quad and the, and, the, and are they going to be a push off the ground type power or are they able to load their backsides hamstrings glutes and create stretch along the back of their body 
so that they can maintain that stretch as they as they turn through into the make the ball. Got it. And then say all that checks off. Say you're all good. A player comes in. They got power, consistent power, but their swing looks good, barrel path, all that stuff. They're loading up, but their timing's off. What's the what are the top one or two drills that you do for to help with timing? So for me, if the timing is off, they're not loading it right. Mm-hmm. If the time, if they can't, if they can't, it's a conversation Perry and I had for a long time at, at ABCA. Like for me. When we see when we see hitters who can't time, um, their loading is not correct. They're they're all back, all forward hitters. They load back, they go forward, and so they need this perfect window. They need to be right for their timing to be right. If they're thinking fastball or they're in a fastball count and they load incorrectly, they get to the front foot too early, mm-hmm. and then everyone yells, "We'll stay back." Well, then he stays back the next swing. And then the front foot doesn't get down in time for the fastball, and then we yell and get their foot down. So that, to me, is all mechanical. So timing, to me, is a mechanical flaw. Right. Now, now how do you – so it's just training, basically, getting them into the right position at the right time. Is there getting, getting, getting them to understand that it's constant loading until we're swinging, right? And then, and then once we can perform that on a tee, we can perform it on a – on a side toss variant drill that we do, and then that's where I I have my belief that it's not it it becomes more about testing the system versus a drill. So what I mean by that is if there's a bullseye, and we talk about where where we should be spending our training economy. Well, if the center of the bullseye is doing it perfect, and somewhere on the bar, board is doing it right but not perfect, and then off the board is doing it wrong. Once we start, when we start to get it right, I ask the kids where we should train, and they all think we should train in the bullseye in the middle. We're doing it perfect, and I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. I want to make them do it wrong, mm-hmm. and then if it, once they can do it right in whatever uh, constraint drill that we're doing, whether it's a, a dropping the ball from standing on top of a chair or a front toss or some of the machine drills that I do, once they can do it right, we go. We make it harder. We make it harder. We make it harder. Um, to, to try to try and get that timing there, and and the, and the goal is to get it on the machine. When they get on the machine and they can finally get there, they really struggle, and it's really hard to explain on the phone. But yep. when we when we get to the machine, it, it really starts to open their eyes of of what I'm talking about on why they have to get it loaded. I love that, and it, just talking to you, and I and this is why I like like your stuff so much, and and just you know, respect everything that you've done and been more of an objective thinker uh, in, in today's politics. I guess you maybe you'd be considered an independent, I guess, uh, where you're not partial to somebody's plan. You might have taken bits and pieces of people's, you know, whether it's Teacher Man or whether it's Perry or whether it's Jeremy or whatever, but what you do is you test it, right? It's all a big test. So whenever you're working with your hitters, and that's, that's what I wish coaches would see when they, they look at your stuff or they look at Jeremy's stuff is it depends, right? I can ask you a question about where, where would you go for power if a hitter needed power? Where would you go for uh, if a hitter needed to hit more line drives, more consistent, or timing? You'd say, well, it depends. I would have to go right. through an evaluation process, and I would have to see what happens when we try this and then see what happens when I try that. And, and that's what I, I really love. Uh, again, you, Jeremy, Perry, even Perry. Uh, you know, I know you guys probably disagree on on some or most or whatever, but 
I, I really gravitate towards guys that are in that experiment mode with their hitters, right? They're not afraid to try this, try that, because it's different with every hitter. That's right. It's different. Um, so let me ask you this. What do you see? You know, I know you're not on the hitting Twitters, and so I, I'm not really either, but I, I just kind of scroll and use it as a news feed, and I see this, that, and the other thing, but I just stay out of the conversation. What do you see the biggest mistake that some of these coaches are making? Hitting coaches? Hitting coaches or even coaches in general? Because I know you bring you bring a coaching element to this, too, because you're coaching teams. So right. there's going to be coaches out there that coach teams. Um, so you can either talk to that, being a, coming from an instructor's perspective, or you can uh, talk about it coming from a team coach's perspective. Biggest mistake it, mistake that coaches or instructors are making. The biggest mistake, I mean, just in general, I think in all aspects of life, I think that, that we're making this mistake is that something has to be one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And and it has to be this way or it has to be this this language. And I, I just... I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. It has, you have to be in this camp or that camp. You kind of hit on that earlier. Yep. Um, but as far as if we just wanted to go into hitting, I, I think, you know, if I had it my way, I would believe in all the data. I believe in every single, every single part of it. But I don't think the hitter needs to be ingrained in it. I don't think the hitter needs to understand it. Um, so just making the data too. Uh, and when I speak data, I'm talking ball legs of data, right? right. When we, it's just too much for the player that he gets into or she gets into a mindset of trying to control something to to make the data point read, whether that's on rap soto or whether that's on a uh, bat sensor. We're we're worried too much about creating a data point than we are creating a hitter. And I think those those tools are awesome to use. I think we can learn a lot from them as the instructor. But I don't I don't think we need the hitter to know everything about the blast motion data sensor about his swing. And then I also think the other biggest mistake is that we're making is we're making mechanical adjustments based on a certain one data point of somebody's swing. Right. Yeah, I agree totally. Yeah, you. The, in the experimentation process, if you look at the scientific method, right, you start with a question. You ask a question, well, does this work if I do this? And then you have a, you form a hypothesis. And then you research, right? And then you gather data. And then you make a conclusion. So the data is only a part of the process. So it's not something that you, you should hang up on, and I agree with you on, that players shouldn't know. They shouldn't know a lot, and you shouldn't drown them out in data, right? You should just use data as a bullet point. A punctuation mark this is why like it's the why behind why they're doing what they're doing you know but you don't drown them in it hey I want to transition we got five minutes I want to be respectful of your time and I, I promised that I was going to get to this so what is your number one <laughs> meat to smoke and, and yeah, if it's not smoking if that's not your number one thing of choice although I see a lot of smoking going on over there on the meat so what's your favorite meat of choice what's the your favorite method of cooking it uh, what kind of rubs are you using? Uh, time on the the grill. G give me your best shot. I mean, if I if I ever I tell everybody if I ever leave baseball, it's to, <laughs> it's to it's to do barbecue, man. I, I just barbecue competitions, man. I, I I'd move out to the hill country here in Texas and open up a small restaurant and just serve barbecue all day. But I'd be there. I go. I, I it, the easy. 
is you're gonna laugh at me here. It depends, right? I mean, if if when it's not when it's not 110 degrees outside, I like to smoke briskets. But when it's when it's that hot, it's just it's just a nuisance to be around the pit that hot. But yeah. my 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 favorite thing to cook right now, I would say. I guess it's big in California, and that's tri-tip. Mm -hmm. I have I've really fallen in love with making tri-tip. Um, and I guess the way, I didn't even know this until I started doing it, but the way I make it, y'all call it Santa Marie style, yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I smoke it in my smoker until I get it to the temp that I want it, and then I rest it for about an hour, and then I sear it, and I cut it like prime rib. And, and I don't know what the cost of meat is out there, but I can get about a two and a half pound try to for about twelve bucks. Okay, yeah. In, in, in Texas, and so we have went, we have left steak. I used to be a big uh, New York strip guy, and yep. ever since doing ever since buying one of those, I just said, man, this is way cheaper and just as good. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of rubs do you? Is it like a Santa Maria style rub, or do you make up your own? So for me, I just I just use salt and pepper. I didn't know that. So Santa Marie style. What, what's the what's the rub for that? You know, I'm not actually sure. I I'm new to this market. We just got a Traeger for for Christmas. My wife got me one, and I dry. I loved it so much that pulling it out of the car it was fully assembled already. We just got a floor model. Pulled it out of the car. It was door down, and I had opened the door a little bit to be able to get a handle on it. And I dropped the. I don't even know what the weight is. 15, 10, 15 pound grill grate right on my left big toe. So I loved it so much that I I smashed my big toe on my left side. The toe is finally growing back, but the the toenail looks gruesome. Uh, I believe it. So we'll see what happens. But we just started doing that because I got a meat thermometer. That was number. That was key purchase number one. <laughs> Uh, or two absolutely Traeger because then yeah then you can monitor the internal temp and before I was just guessing I'd cut it open and like everybody else and see what color it was and I didn't know what I was doing um, but yeah so what I do is I make it easy so the Traeger makes it easy because you just set the, it's like a right. oven right it's just an oven you just set the temperature and, and just let it go and then check the temperature out the internal temp uh, a couple hours later you know and uh, so I buy them already seasoned. So they're in like a okay. wet, uh, like a wet type of, uh, like a bag. You know, it's all wet already. And so I mm -hmm. throw it on there. So I don't really make my own. So I was just kind of curious to see what you do. So you yeah, here, uh, yeah, salt and pepper. And then there, there's a, there's another rub locally. Um, you know, us Texas people, you know, we like to support everything. Yes, right. So there's a there's a Texas barbecue um, that I follow. And she has her own rub, and it's kind of like it's kind of black, but it, it has it has flavor to it. But it kind of helps you get that bark that everybody wants on their meat. Yep. So salt and pepper, and that is usually all I ever use. I'm, I'm a big fan of the taste of the meat, and not a lot of taste of a bunch of different spices going on in my mouth. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, man, the meat that you have a wireless thermometer. That's what you're using. I was using it, and then the probes went out on me, so I had to buy uh, just a temporary one where you fold out the probe and you stick it in and it tells you the temperature, because it was telling me that it was 100 and, what was it, saying 150 degrees outside, and it was only 90, so yeah, there was yeah. a problem with that, I can't cook with that, so I had to get yeah. probes, but those probes are like 40 bucks. Yeah, so I have the, I use the meter, it's called the meter. So, uh, M M E oh, M-E-A-T-E-R? Mm-hmm. Oh, Meter cool. probe. Okay. And it's like, I mean, it looks like a ballpoint pen, so there's no wires, mm -hmm. and it hooks up through your phone, and I love it because you just poke it in your meat, and 
you get two you get two readings on your phone. One's a reading of your of your pit, and the other one's a reading of your meat. Oh, dude, I'm there. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna get it. What what does that run? Is that on Amazon? Yeah, it's like a hundred bucks. Oh, there you go. It's it's awesome. You can hook it up to your Wi-Fi, so I can leave the house and still see. Oh, cool. Still see what it is, and I and I don't have a Traeger, so I, I do have to adjust the temp. So that's made it so much better, especially if I'm cooking a pork butt or something that takes a long time. I can. I don't have to sit out there and stare at the at the pit. I can I can walk around and you can set alarms and I can go to sleep and my my phone will start buzzing at me if my pit's too cold or too hot. So so and also brisket too because that thing's what twelve hours. I, I want to do one of those, yeah. But I got to get up at four a.m. in order to have it ready by four p.m. So when you get the when you get the app, if you have a little secret here about big pieces of meat like that. Mm -hmm. um, when I do brisket, if I, you said you're looking to eat around four, I'll put it on the pit at like ten o'clock at night, oh, and then yeah. and then let it cook through the night, and then it'll be done around two or ten or I'm sorry noon. Mm -hmm. And if you take a brisket, any big piece of meat like that, and it works well to try to too, and you wrap it, and like I wrap mine in butcher paper, mm -hmm. and I turn around and I wrap that in like a beach towel. And then I put that in a cooler. Mm -hmm. It'll hold that temp for hours. The, after it's done cooked. Yes. No way. So butcher paper. Hours. A beach towel. Butcher paper, a beach towel, and in a cooler. In a cooler, like in a what's that really big cooler right right now? The um, yeah, I mean Yeti cooler, any cooler, uh -huh, any cooler, but just something that's gonna something that's gonna, so it won't keep cooking, but the meat will keep itself warm. Warm. Oh man, there you go. And a lot, like we tell everybody here with red meat, you should be doing that anyway because even on a steak, I, I rest my steak. If I just do a steak, I'm still doing that and resting it for like 30 minutes because when you're cooking meat like that, you're really stressing out the muscles of the meat, right? right. And so a lot of times when you cook a steak at home, you cook it, you put it on a plate, you cut it, and the juice goes all over your plate. Right. Well, if you let it rest, those juices will go back into the middle of the meat oh. to where when you cut it, it's not on your plate, it's in your meat. Oh, man. you make my mouth water, dude. <laughs> I love it, man. Yeah, hey, I appreciate your time, man. I appreciate that, and I'm sure everybody out there will appreciate it, too, uh, whether it's the hitting or or uh, cooking, barbecuing. It's just, you know, Texas. It's not, nothing's better than how you guys do it in Texas there. <laughs> um, so, hey, where, where can we find you? So, Twitter. I know you're on Twitter. What's your what's your handle on Twitter? Uh, at TX underscore Pierce on Twitter. And, I mean, I, like I said, I still, I still post on there about hitting, but now I think I find myself posting more about just the game in general. Yeah. Um, than I do about hitting. I'll still throw some videos up there that I think are cool hitting. Um, and I still get a lot of DMs asking me questions about hitting. I still answer those. Yep. Um, just not going to see me in the conversations like I was maybe two years ago about about everything. So, but that, that I'm not on Instagram. I, I don't do it on Facebook. I, I'm still a Twitter guy. Yeah, and there, and there's a lot of cool uh, pictures with you and your kids. You guys out fishing, and, and like I said, a lot of barbecuing and all that kind of stuff. So it's good to see that side of of guys like you and Jeremy and things like that. It's not 100 percent hitting but for those that are out there that will have a question for maddie just dm them i would i would probably recommend and and not uh put it up on the on the twitter sphere um and i'm sure matt will be more than happy to to help you out absolutely so, so matt absolutely. hey i appreciate your time brother and we'll we'll keep in touch might do a part two part three shoot if we get into you start doing some barbecue competition stuff we might have to have you on more often
<laughs> Sounds good, man. All right, brother. Hey, keep up the good work out there. Hey, appreciate you thinking of me, and thanks for having me on. You got it, bud. All right, have All a right. good one. Yeah, you too. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.